So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to finish off, and I've got three things I want to talk to you from our membership covenant, right? Uh, number five. Now, we've already walked through one through four. Number one was, if you're a member of Collierville Bible Church, in which I'm just going to tell you, it is God's will for every Christian to be a member of a church, a Bible-believing, gospel-centered church. It's God's will. Now, where you live on this planet may not avail yourself of that very easily, but it's God's will. Now, a great thing is if you live in our Bible Belt area, there are great, there's an assortment of churches. So number one is I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you're a member of our church, that's number one, right? Um, our elders want to know if you're saved. When we present someone for membership, we have heard their salvation testimony. Um, and I would tell you that's a, that's a good thing. And um, it, there's nothing to be afraid of. If you've been holding back from, from pursuing membership because you're maybe not sure of your salvation or you don't want anybody to inquire, I would say, why would you take that risk, right? I mean, we've had times where people have talked about their salvation testimony and the elders have heard it and then we're like, uh-oh, they don't know the gospel, right? It was a wonderful opportunity to sit down and minister to them. We want you to be saved. We want you to truly know Jesus. Number two, you've publicly declared this confession by being baptized, right? You've received scriptural baptism, right? After your salvation, you've come to be baptized. Um, number three, I affirm the Carville Bible Church statement of faith as a declaration of truth taught in the scriptures. We went over that. Number four, I aspire to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord as taught in the scriptures. We went over that. Now we're at number five. I appeal to the membership of Carville Bible Church to hold me accountable to the truth and manner of life as taught in the scriptures. That's number five, right? And we're going to look at six and seven here in a minute. First, I want to look at this. I appeal to the membership of Collierville Bible Church to hold me accountable to the truth and manner of life as taught in the scripture, right? First, I want to look at that phrase, number five, I appeal to the membership of Collierville Bible Church. I've said this a couple times, and I want to prove it from the, the text of scripture, that it is God's will that everybody be a member of a church, right? A Bible-believing, I'm not talking about certain denominations, I'm saying a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church, right? That's what God wants, right? That's what you want. That's what God's will is for you. If this is not a church that you can join in full faith, then find a church that you can, right? Um, now, here's the reason I would say it. I'm going to show you in the text of Scripture where I get that idea. I'm not making that idea up where I get that idea. Now, by the way, just so you understand, have you ever realized that Scripture doesn't exactly say things the way that we want things to be said? Have you noticed that, right? But I'm going to show you the evidence that we see that there is a such thing as church membership in the Scriptures. Now, how you go about that membership, I don't think the Scriptures actually declare all the specifics of how the process happens, right? So if you're in your, your kind of common Baptist church, a lot of times there's an aisle walk, right? We have, you sing just as I am, you wait till about the seventh or eighth time, and then you walk down, you, want to be a, you declare that you want to be a member, and you're a member that day. Some churches like ours, there's a membership process that you go through. Uh, that, that is up, there's some, there's some individual liberty for each church to decide the processes. We do see in Scripture that someone is saved and baptized. We see that in Acts chapter 2. That's when someone was added to the church. But I'd say the process of how you go about that can be, that's a lot up to the church and its leadership. But I will say that I see evidence in Scripture that there is a membership role, right? There's a membership role. Now, the first church I was a lead pastor of was a church called Oak Hill Christian Church. Um, man, dear people, it was in Wisconsin. Um, man, I, I, I loved it there in Wisconsin. I love the snow. I love living around the snow. Most people who, you can always tell the people that love the snow in Wisconsin, because the people that loved the snow were the people who didn't grow up there, all right? Everybody else did not like it. Um, but there was something satisfying of waking up in the morning and seeing a foot or two of snow in your driveway. It just a, and then I had, a, I had one of those uh, gas-powered snow, snow um, blowers. I couldn't even remember what it's called now. Um, and just the satisfaction of seeing that, that driveway full of snow and within about 30 to 45 minutes, it was all just kind of clean and bare. Do y'all remember that? Just the satisfaction of that. It just felt satisfying. I loved it there. Now, one of the interesting things when I came to that church is they had come from a seeker model, right? Their former pastor they had for a little bit had a seeker model, a, 
And in the seeker model of doing church, one of the deals that the seeker model did is it got away from church membership. It kind of basically said, why are we counting who's church members and not? You just, if you come to church, you're just a part of a church. There's no identification. Um, so when I came to the church, that was kind of how they did things. So when I asked who are members, it was like, well, we don't have a membership per se. We're not, we haven't identified who's a member, who's not a member. We, you know, people show up. And if you show up, you're, you're kind of a member. Well, I would say um, that, that, wasn't very good, that wasn't a very good thing in the long run, right? Because you actually didn't know, well, then who are we actually responsible for? Then the answer was, well, whoever shows up for church. And I'll go, wait, wait, wait. Not everybody showing up for church wants me or our elders or our people to hold them accountable to the life and manner of taught in the Scripture. So there has to be some identification. Who has marked themselves out? Who has said, I am identifying with this local body? So we started to have membership. We actually called it covenant membership um, just because we wanted people to realize when you join a church, you're not just joining something like you, like, you know, a credit card or AARP or AAA. Like, it's not a membership like that. We called it covenant membership, meaning you've cut something with God and others, and this is a serious manner. And so we started to have membership. And by the way, just so you understand, that model, that seeker-sensitive model, that happened, it, is, it has been dying by the wayside when it comes to churches who stopped doing membership and stopped identifying who's a member, who's in and out, who agrees with what the church does, who, who is a part of, who is open and available for redemptive discipline, who, I mean, like, that model has started to die out because here's what happened. You got a lot of people that never had any accountability, and no one ever knew where they were in or out. And when someone went through something in life, like, who was responsible to take care of these people? So, it was a terrible idea. Now, when you look in the Bible and you see the word church, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. That meaning of that Greek word is a called out assembly. Now, sometimes in the text of Scripture, when it uses the word church, in context, it's referring to what we call the universal church, meaning church is everywhere, right? So I could say Carville Bible Church is a part of the church, right? We are part of the church. There's many churches, and we're part of the church. Or I could say Carverville Bible Church is a part of the church at Carverville, meaning there's, many, there's other great gospel-centered, biblically-minded churches all throughout Carverville. So sometimes when you see the word church in the Bible, in its context, it's referring to more of the universal church. But at other times, it's referring in context to a local, called-out assembly of believers. Now, I want to show you a couple places where I see this local called out assembly of believers. And I want to take you to a couple passages of scripture. We'll start off, we've been here before, but go back to it, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. By the way, here's my plan for preaching. Um, next week, we're going we're gonna to do something to kind of finish off our um, discipleship in the Gospels. We're actually going to look at the Sermon on the Mount. We did that for our youth retreat. I preached a little bit of it last week. I'm going to go through it, and then, um, Lord willing, and the Lord doesn't change my soul on this, I believe we're going to exposit the book of 2 Corinthians, right? So, um, after that. So, unless the Lord changes something, that's where we're going to be at uh, going here forward in the future. Acts chapter 2, verse 41, you, you, you know the context, the church, um, Peter preaches, Pentecost happens, people being saved, they're coming, they're repenting of their sin, and then verse 41, it says this, so then those who had received his word were baptized. Right? When it says received his word, it's referring to those who were being saved in verse 40. And that day were, what does it say? Added about 3,000 souls. Added to what? Added to the church. Added to the church of Jerusalem. Added. So when you have that word added, this is a word of calculation, of accounting. This is, there's a recognizing that they belong to something, right? They were added. Now, remember, when I said earlier, the Bible doesn't always say things the way we want it to say things, right? But it does give us the truths that we bind together so we can know what is an appropriate belief. So, for instance, I believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But do we ever see the word Trinity in the Bible? We don't see the word Trinity, but we know the doctrine of it is true because as we've, come, as we've studied the Scriptures, we can understand there is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. We've gathered that, right? So even when it comes to the church, people say, show me exactly where it says, thou shalt add to a church and go through discovery, and then thou shalt be a member of the church, right? Do y'all like my King James English, right? 
the Bible that Jesus read. All right, so it's not, it's not true. <laughs> but it's the only one he recognizes. So <laughs> some fundamentalism coming out. So you got to ask yourself, the reason I would say it's God's will for every Christian to be a member of a church. Churches have, you know, all sorts of liberty on how they go about that process, but saved, baptized, here's what I'm looking at, right? But that's not the only place. There's other things that make me go, okay, there, there is a church role. However you want to do that. Now, they didn't have, you know, any kind of church software back in the day, but they had a way of accounting of who's in, who's out. Let me show you a couple other places here. If you go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, here's another place where I see some accounting. Some accounting. The context of 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is they're doing redemptive church discipline with a man who was sleeping with his stepmother. That was early in chapter 5. They had disciplined, um, Paul's calling on them to discipline him. The church um, was actually... <laughs> taking joy in what he was doing, thinking they had that liberty in Christ meant license to sin. Never does it mean that, right? And then you find something interesting. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 11. He continues to help them understand where this redemptive discipline needs to happen. And he says, But now I'm writing to you not to associate with any so-called brother. Someone who's been disciplined uh, by the church is a so-called brother. Could be. But by the evidence, it doesn't look like it, so-called. Um, you know, that's what that would mean, so-called. If he is sexually, if he is a sexually immoral person, greedy, idolater, reviler, all right, drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now, we're talking about someone who is, in verse 11, openly declaring, hostile, everybody knows about it. Just as you discipline this guy, this is the kind of stuff that we put out of the church. It's not saying that if you've ever... Um, gotten drunk, that you're to be church disciplined, but it would say that if you're a person who consistently is a drunkard and consistently is doing that, and that it becomes commonly known that you should go, that the church should take you through those processes, and for the glory of God and your good, I hope you're a member of a church that would do that, and I would hope a church would actually do that. But also, let's say you were a swindler, you were stealing, you were a thief, you were someone who stole from your business and became consistent and open and known. But my point is not to that in verse 11, but it's what verse 12 and 13 says. He says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders, those outside the church? Are you not to judge those that are within the church? Within. But those outside, God will judge. Remove that wicked man from among yourself. So we see this idea that, that even the church is to practice redemptive discipline and put some who are on the inside, outside, should they not repent after going through the processes of redemptive discipline that we see in the text of 1 Corinthians 5. But that leads me to something. The fact that you would, that you would you know, have a negative, that you would move someone from the inside to the outside, tells me there's some accounting here. There's a recognizing of someone's in, someone's out. So you see added to the church. You see this, some are in, and now they're out. What we see is this idea of there is a membership role of some sort. Now, how you want to calculate that and do that, whether a piece of paper or writing on the ground or it's just memorized who's in, who's out, that doesn't matter. What matters is some are part of the church, some are not a part of the church. Now, all Christians would be a part of the universal church, but not all Christians are a part of a local church. To be a part of a local church, there has to be a commitment and adding to the role, a recognizing. But that's not my only reason for saying it's God's will that everybody be a member of a local New Testament, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church. I'll give you some other texts. And this is not exhaustive. This is just trying to lay some out there. Hebrews chapter 13. These are just one of many. This is kind of like following, following all the cookie crumbs. If you follow the cookie crumbs, what are you eventually going to find? A cookie. Right? Or what? Or a happy child, yeah. <laughs> you could follow the cookie crumbs and, follow, and find an empty, uh, find no cookie, but a happy, 
a happy kid with a lot of chocolate on their face. Here's one thing that really leads me, I mean, of all the things, I mean, this is, by the way, I, I can't spend forever on this. I'm just trying to give you enough that you see. There's a reason why textually I can say and will say it is God's will that every born-again believer be a member of a church, has committed themselves to a Bible-preaching, gospel-centered church that has biblical leadership, that believes in redemptive discipline, that believes the body should minister to each other. Like, God wants everybody to be a member of a church. I'm not saying that because I'm trying to pad myself or, oh, Nick just wants to be able to brag about membership role, anything like that. Um, I can tell you, sometimes that, that exists. But I'm going to tell you, you don't do this ministry very long if you're trying to do ministry to build yourself up. Because I'm just going to give you an honest insight. It's not worth it. <laughs> not worth it, right? And in all of our lives, just, this, is just, this is free, right? But we've been past the plates for this one. Anytime any of us in life do things to build ourselves up, as in exalt ourselves, where it's always about us, 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 me, 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 God never gives you grace for that, right? God never. You, you want to experience God's grace? Live every day for the glory of God, and how can I serve others? How can I look on the, on the interests of others, not on the interests of myself? You want to live a blessed life? Start looking and living that way. Because when life is about others and not self, you, you actually get to enjoy the favor and grace of God, and then you don't have any capacity to be so selfish and self-focused and self-serving. By the way, I love counseling. I believe in it. I do it. But I'm going to tell you one of the most dangerous things is if you go see a counselor and that counselor makes every session about how you can make more of yourself. I'm going to tell you, please run away from that counselor. I don't care what degree they have or how much they've been recommended. If anything is about the exaltation of yourself, that is not counsel that you want to receive. It's demonic. It's hellish. It's not of God. Now, what's interesting is when I come to the text of Hebrews 13, 17, I see something that's very interesting. Obey your leaders, it says, and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they will do this with joy and not with groaning, for this would be unprofitable for you. So here's one thing. Why is it a member that everybody be a member of a church? Because someone's got to be responsible for you. Like, for instance, if there's no such thing as church membership, then here's what I'm asking myself as a pastor. Who am I responsible for? Really, who am I responsible then? Because it seems like those in spiritual leadership will have to give an account for their leadership and what they've done. Well, who am I supposed to give an account for? Am I responsible for what happens at St. Patrick Presbyterian? Am I responsible for what happens at Gracie Van? Am I responsible for First Van? Am I responsible for Central? Am I responsible for the Episcopalian Church down the road? Am I responsible for the Catholic Church? I mean, do you understand? There has to be some kind of who are, who are the gifts and the spiritual leaders of the church responsible to, and who are you responsive towards? So we see in the text, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. How do I know who I'm supposed to keep watch over? Those that have, those that have identified as I'm a member of, of, of the church that you're a member of. Like, like for elders in our church, that's how we know who are we responsible for, those who have committed to membership. Who are you saying? By the way, if you're ever wondering, like, how should I tell my friends who are looking for a church, how do we evaluate the church that we should go to? Don't evaluate it by how awesome you feel at their worship services, right? That's just an emotion, right? Judge it by, why don't you sit down with the leaders and go, can I trust you to shepherd my soul, right? What do you believe and how are you going to follow through on that belief? What are you going to do? Are you going to do redemptive discipline? Are you going to encourage me? All right? So here's the deal. How are you going to obey leaders if there's no certain type of membership? Look, so for instance, if you're just visiting this church, but you've never committed to membership, like what right do I have to, if I see something in your life, to sit down and talk with you about it? I don't really have that kind of right. But I will tell you this, if we've covenanted together as members, then yeah, I, I absolutely do. And by the way, vice versa. If you've covenanted with this church and you see something unsavory in my life, you as a member, because I'm also, 
I'm not only a member, but I'm a client, right? Like, I'm a part of this thing too, right? I'm a part of the body. That would even be me. Of course, the scriptures bear out that, I, that the process of discipline is a lot quicker, more severe for me um, in my position. But I would say, how are you to know who you, what leaders do you hold accountable, right? The ones that are part of your church. Do we see this mutual ministry that happens right here? This are, these are, the, these are the, the cookie crumbs that I would say it is God's will for everybody to be a member of a church. Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, biblically sound church that has spiritual leadership, that has redemptive discipline, that is practicing the doctrines of the, the, grace, the, the grace-filled ministry of the word. Let me show you another one, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5. These are the reasons why I'd say it's God's will. I'll tell you, I hope God lets me be a pastor and an elder until he takes me to glory. I hope, but he might not. I mean, who knows? I, I don't have control of the future. I don't know what he's going to do. But I will say this. Here would be my plan. The very first day that I'm no longer preaching or I'm no longer practicing what I'm, you know, God has removed his favor and grace or he said, you know, You've, you've, served your, you've served, like, here's where, where I'm going to do with you now. You know what the first thing I'm going to do? Join a church. That'll be the first thing I do. Or if I retire, what's the first thing I'm going to do? Join a church, right? Um, I'm going to anchor in. I'm going to be accountable to that pastor and elder and those people. Um, and that's going to be the first thing I do. That will be the thing that God would want me to do. Now look at First Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. It says this. I exhort the elders among you and as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and partaker also in the glory that is re- revealed. Look at verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock of God. What does it say? Among you, right? Among you. That there's sheep here. Overseeing, not under compulsion. Well, who are you overseeing if there's nobody who's, that you're appointed to oversee? But willingly, according to God, and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness. And not yet lording over those, what? Allotted to you. Allotted to you. But being examples to the flock. So just even shepherding the flock of God, elders shepherding the flock of God. It says not lording over those allotted to you. Do you see the calculation once again? God is allotting a people to elders. So this would be what I would say. It is God's will for every everybody to be a member of a local New Testament Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. That's what God wants. If you're not a member of this church and you're saved and you're baptized, or if you're not baptized, then, hey, great news. You can be baptized today, all right? Um, You know, we'll we'll find you a change of clothes, right? You can do it, right? You can can do it today. God wants to be a member. God wants you to, to either come into our next discovery class so you understand our discovery class is to help you understand what this thing is that you would join. Ask your questions. We want you to be fully informed, right? Uh, it'd be so much easier. I wish we could just sing just as I am and have you join at the end each day, but you, you might not know what you're joining, right? By the way, I'm not making fun of that. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, you know, we may, you know, we could be doing it in, in the future. I'll just make a joke about that. We probably won't. So, <laughs> Matthew 18. Matthew 18. People might become so doctrinally orthodox in the future in our society that there's no need for membership classes. You could probably just have people walk down the aisle and, and join the church in one Sunday, right? I'm guessing if we had such a growth revival and we had so many people coming for membership, maybe we would do it at that point. So look at that. I'm talking myself out of what I said. Matthew chapter 18, verse 17. Now, so here's what we see. Here's the statement. I appeal to the membership, and I just tried to cover that. There is a membership. There's such thing in Scripture, right? It exists. It exists. Right? Every church can have their different processes of how they go about that, but it exists. But he says this. I appeal to the membership of Collierville Bible Church to hold me accountable, to hold me accountable to, what does it say? The truth and manner of life taught in the Scripture. Hold me accountable to truth and manner of life. Of life taught in the scripture. I think this is my favorite part of our membership covenant of everything. And here's the reason why. Because we all need it. I need to be a member of church. Why? 
because I need accountability to the truth and manner of life taught in the Scripture, right? I mean, like, there's no telling. I've known way too many preachers that have went sideways that not think I can't ever do that. I mean, you know, if I show up here one day and I change my last name to Dollar, I mean, you can know that, like, something's going sideways, right? If I start, you know, if my catchphrase starts to be, you know, Jesus loves $100 bills, right? I'm going sideways. Maybe I need some discipline, right? So I need it. You need it. Now, people would say, what right does the church have to do that? That is, that sounds like a cult. It's not true. Actually, it's a biblical church. In fact, I would tell you, you probably don't want to join a church that doesn't have some kind of mode or apparandi of of redemptive discipline. I would say if that church does, if you go to church and you sit down with their elders or leaders or pastor and they say, and you say, talk to me about church discipline, they look at you like, that was just something for the old days. Don't join that church. Unless, unless you live in Siberia and that's the only option you got on the table, right? Don't join that church. Join one that says, no, actually, hey, we, we do believe in that and, and we're going to do it for each other. We're going to do it in a biblical way. I mean, it's not like I'm making this up. If you look in Matthew 18, look at Matthew 18, 15 through 17. You know, most of you know this. We're very familiar with this. But there's a process. Now, this is the main process we see most of the time. I don't have time to go into it, but there are other church discipline processes that go a little bit quicker than this, depending, like if you're an elder in 1 Timothy 5, it goes a little bit quicker. If someone's in actual known outright heresy or flagrant sin that's, you know, in 1 Corinthians 5, it moved a little bit faster. But tends to be most of the time it, it runs according to this text. Look at it. It says in verse 15 of Matthew 18, Now if a brother sins, go and show him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. So go one-on-one, right? Verse 16, If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. You bring a couple more into it to try to bring resolution. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the, what does it say? Church. By the way, here in this text, is it talking about universal church or a local church? A local, right? How are you going to tell something to the church worldwide and how are they going to practice discipline? There has to be a local identified church. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, Listen to the membership. Let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector, a basically so-called brother. Now the thought would be, what right does the church have to do that? Well, the scripture has given that right. And by the way, if done right and done God's way, look after that. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on the earth about anything that they ask, it will be done for them my Father, and um, done for them by my Father who is in heaven, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst. A church that does it the right way is actually, in verse 18 through 20, doing heaven's will. And you can have confidence you're actually doing. This is not talking about a small group. You know, small groups are great. That's not what verse 18 through 20 is talking about, the divine authority that God is working through his covenant body when they practice discipline according to the precepts of Scripture. So I would say, in our statement of number five, I appeal to the membership of Calvary Bible Church to hold me accountable to the truth and manner of life as taught in the scriptures. Then we have every right to do that for each other. And nay, we should expect that. And that should happen. And that should be normal. If you're a member of our church and there's unreconciliation between you and another person, that person should go to you one-on-one, you should try land, air, and sea, try to get that resolved. If it doesn't, then you move to the next step, then we move to the next step. And when anything like that happens, that's a church being biblical. That's not a cult. That's actually a real church. Now, why would I tell you it's God's will? Because you don't get that unless you're a member of a church. Like in our church, we don't practice that unless you're, you have covenanted with our body. That's part of being a member. You have said, we have said if this happens in my life, I expect, while I'm of sound mind in the Lord, that you're actually going to do something about this, right? And so when we do that with our members, that actually is because we've committed to such things. It's a good thing. By the way, um, here's a side note. Pray for us. Um, and because I think this. If a body is healthy, 
church discipline usually doesn't make it to the church a lot of the time. It usually makes it early. Like, do you know the one-on-one is part of church discipline, right? When you go to someone one-on-one, you're actually practicing church discipline. You're just doing a lot earlier, right? And if a body is functioning well, then a lot of this gets, a lot of verse 15 happens so much that it rarely gets to verse 17. Now, so that's what it means when we say we're a member. Now, let me illustrate something that that I think is very hard. You know, divorce has risen so much in our country and society. Are, are y'all aware of that? Okay, just making sure. <laughs> and so, it, it, now they say that, you've heard it, that there's just as much divorce in the church as outside the church. One caveat I would tell you, that actually is an inaccurate statistic. That's not true. Actually, there's a lot less divorce for those who are in the church than outside the church, right? So, just food for thought, church members have a lower percentage rate of divorcing. Not 100%, lower. But I will say this. I think there's a lot of marriages that could have been saved a lot, not all, a lot, if either the church did its job with redemptive discipline or if those people were members of church and members enough that they were known and known so that the church could have stepped in. By the way, if you're a member here and your marriage is having problems and your first thought is, let me go hire a lawyer, shame on you. The scriptures tell you not to do that in 1 Corinthians 6. You know what you need to do? You need to grab elders. And if you tell an elder and they won't keep going forward, then tell the rest of the church, right? That guy might not be qualified anymore, right? And if a church is, is stepping in and doing that, they're loving you. It's messy. You know, it's messy, so this is what it means when you're a member of a church. I, I'm telling you, I wouldn't be a married person and not be a member of a church that doesn't believe in redemptive church discipline. I'm just telling you, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. If you're getting, let's say you're going to get married in the future and you meet someone and man, he's just a hunk, right? I mean, similar to your pastor, right? And you're just like, man, I just want to marry this guy. And you're kind of like, hey, all right, you love Jesus? Yeah, I love Jesus. Okay, all right. You a member of a church? Well, you know, what is church? You know, my church is the lake, right? That's my church, you know. Don't marry that guy. Are you kidding me? What are you going to do when that dude acts a fool? Because he could. Who, who's going to help? Who's going to hold him accountable? Who has he agreed to hold accountable? No. You need a man that loves the Lord and loves the church. By the way, all this online dating, I don't think it's necessarily bad. I, I would say this. If you're going to do this online dating and try to find somebody, do it with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't get on there and swipe through profiles all by yourself. That's ridiculous, right? You're, you're, you're too vulnerable in that time to do that kind of stuff. But if you do and you have people helping you hold you accountable, I will tell you this. If you ask them if they love Jesus, get a clear profession of faith of that they really are saved, right? Just because someone says I'm saved, does that mean they're saved? No. Ask them like, tell me in detail how you know Jesus is yours. And then do this. Ask them, what church do you go to? And if they can't tell you the name, eh, and then ask them this, who's your pastor? If they can't tell you their pastor's name, that's probably not a person you want to hook up with. I'm just telling you. Like, so you're going to go and date someone and marry someone who has nothing to do with the church, will never put themselves in accountability. You have no fallback for the greatest covenant relationship. You have, no, you have nothing protecting you in that, and you're going to risk all that? That's foolish, man. I wouldn't do that. So, all right, let's go to number six. I know I'd spend a little time on number five. How y'all doing? Okay, good. Number six, we won't spend long on this because we're all nailing number six perfectly. Matthew chapter 28. Nailing it. Matthew 28. I dedicate myself, this is number six, to the earthly mission of making disciples. I will seek out the lost people, help them receive Jesus as Savior, assist them to be conformed to his likeness, and encourage them to be effectively engaged in his service. Um, I would tell you this. We are always striving, always practicing. I never feel like I've accomplished this well, but I would say um, I've seen a track record through life that there's probably more of this that's being done than what you think. But God has called us to do Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And that is, go therefore and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. 
and I'm with you even to the end. If you're a member of Carver Bible Church, here's what we're asking, that you'd be always aware of people who are far from God, that you'd always be asking God to give you people far from God. And that if God gives you people far from Him, you'd be faithful to declare the gospel to them and then to disciple them, which means you baptize them, you teach them what it looks like to follow Jesus, you have them watch your life, you bring them to church, but you don't only bring them to church, but you meet with them. And, and listen, this is not easy stuff, and sometimes you have to have a willing disciple participant, right? I've met so many people that want to disciple, they just can't get anybody to cooperate. Uh, that's not on you, but it means that you're going to put forth those efforts. And I would say more than just those efforts outside your home, it's also going to be in your home. Uh, so, many, so many of us would say, I don't have any disciples. Nobody will let me disciple them. Then I would go, who lives in your home? There you go. By the way, this is why also, I mean, I'll keep saying this, and you may get mad at me about saying this, but I'm just going to keep saying it. This is why I think God wants everybody to have a very open posture to kids, right? Very open posture that when you're in the covenant of marriage, kids are a good thing. Those are your first-line disciples. To be honest with you, most of us aren't going to have four, five, twelve disciples that, you know, that we can look as a downline. But if God's giving you children, those are our main disciples first and foremost. That doesn't mean we ignore other disciples. I mean, there's a, a, a way that I've seen like moms and dads go, hey, who are your disciples? Well, I just disciple my kids and I don't have enough time for anybody else. I would go, I, I don't see that in the Great Commission. It's a both and. But you also can't be about so many people outside your home that there's not discipleship in the home, right? But this is part of number six. You are dedicating yourself to the mission of making disciples, seeking the lost, helping them receive Jesus, assisting them to be conformed to his likeness. By the way, I'll say one side note on number six before I end it. Here's the thing that that I did in my earlier years of evangelizing. If I tried to tell someone the gospel message and they said no, then I was like, Okay, well, we're done. You know what I do now? If someone says no, my next question is, well, would you be willing to learn a little bit more? Would you be willing to hear this again? Could we, could we talk again? I mean, sometimes we've got people that, that have said no, but that doesn't mean they've said no to more conversations. They, they would probably be a lot more willing if we just keep following up with them. Now let me end with number seven. Number seven. Y'all didn't think in the beginning of this message I'd reach number seven, did you? Y'all doubted me. Number seven, here's the last one. I pledge to protect the unity of the church and to support this fellowship financially in prayer and with my physical presence. Let me say a couple things on number seven. I pledge to protect the unity of the church. Ooh, it's hard to have unity in a church. Can I get amen? You know why? Because people run their mouth. I mean, it happens. I mean, I'm telling you, that's the hardest part of having unity. So when you go through our uh, membership process, we have something called a commitment to healthy relationships. And here's six things we tell people, a commitment to healthy relationships. Um, I'm going to reread it because some of you haven't heard this in a long time, and it'd be good. We, we probably need to put this up on our website. Number one, assume the best. Give others the benefit of the doubt. Assume everything is okay unless you have a valid reason to think otherwise. I cannot tell you how many people have said, I think Nick has a problem with me. Oh, really? What did he say? Well, nothing. He just didn't say hi to me today. It's like, I maybe had to go to the bathroom. That's why I walked past you so fast. I don't know. Number two, go direct. If you hear something that meets these two tests, it adversely, it adversely affects the relationship with someone in the body or you are part of the problem or solution, go directly to those who have first-hand information and ask them to help you understand the situation. Which means, if something does happen, don't go talk to other people that have nothing to do with that situation. Go directly to the source. So like in a church, if we protect unity, it's someone's telling us something, and the first thing we say is, wait a minute, are you asking me to be the witness and to be a part of the solution of this? No, I just want to see what do you think. Well, it doesn't matter what I think. It, has nothing to do with me, and I'm not a part of this, right? Now, if you're asking, you're telling me, then you're saying, I'm going to go with you and intercede and be a part of the discussion, but otherwise, we're just gossiping right now, right now, brother. Number three, don't gossip. What is gossip? Talking to someone who is not a part of the problem or part of the solution will only make things worse. Number four, use confession and forgiveness. If you have come to see that you have done wrong by someone else, 
confess it to him or her, ask for his or her forgiveness. If someone asks you for forgiveness, grant it fully and freely. If we're really acting as members of the body, this shouldn't be abnormal. If we're really walking in fellowship, if you're really hanging out with me, I probably will offend you at some point. I mean, I'm a pastor, right? I use my mouth a lot, right? I'm going to say things. But I should be willing to repent if you bring it up. That shows that there's a real relationship when we've had to have those interchanges. Number five, be careful with your words. Don't, by the way, number five doesn't apply to any of y'all. None of us. I just, I probably don't need to read it, but I will. Be careful with your words. Don't express your personal perceptions as if they are facts. Say only what is true. We don't know anything about that one. So this, by the way, here's how it usually starts. I feel, I feel like when that was said, what they were really saying was, yeah, that doesn't promote unity, right? Number six, put fuel in other people's tanks. Use encouragement liberally. Love our family meal times for that. Find ways to avoid discouraging and criticizing others with your words. Use words and deeds that fuel others' excitement for serving the Lord. By the way, does that mean we can't say things that are of, of evaluation that are critical? No. It just means that your first, if, if you've got something critical to say to somebody, you probably should start off with saying some good things, right? I mean, we all do that, right? Like with our kids, right? You got something to point out with your kids? We always start off with something positive, right? No, we don't. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's the hardest thing, right? Is, you know, before you're going to say something to your kids, why don't you say something about what you did see was good? Next in that statement, it says support financially. I'm not going to go spend a lot of time on this, but I will tell you this. Financial giving is, is, is a blessing to your life. It, I, love, I love giving because it reminds me that this money is not mine. I am managing what God has given to me. It's a way that I uh, can keep trying to detach my heart from the love of money because it's easy to love money. Can I get amen? It's easy to love money. How do we know that? Because how much do we think about it? How much do we think if I just had more of it? Now, in our church, you can give many different ways. There are these, there are these little boxes that are at the back, these wooden boxes. That's actually places where you can put money in. You can put money in an envelope. You can put a check, but you can also go online. You can even give online through our website. Um, but just be aware that, that, that when, you do a, um, when you give through our website, that there's actually a fee that we have to pay for every credit card transaction. You can bill pay. Some people bill pay. They just set it up with their bank. Some have automatic draft. Um, that kind of works for some people. So that's part of our thing is that you would fellowship financially, support this fellowship financially. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that because I spent it last week. Here's the last thing that I want to end with. Physical presence. Do you know this wasn't on our membership, number seven? I pledge to protect the unity of the church and to support this fellowship financially and in prayer. We added, and with my physical presence. We added that. Um, elders, when did we add that? Do y'all remember when we added that? Was it a couple years ago? Was it kind of during the COVID years, you know, pre-post? I don't know. That's how we, post-COVID. We put that in there because here's the reason. Here's the deal. Now that we have like online stuff, it's so easy for people to be like pajama bottom Christians, right? And, and I would say like it's not God's will. God wants you to be like physically here. He does. I'm not saying that so I can have more people in here. I'm not saying that. Be honest with you. I had people affirm to me that during our times of COVID when there was just like a handful of you in here, uh, they said, like, man, you preach a lot better with less people in the room, right? <laughs> so, you know, just so you know, the more faces are in here, it's a little bit of a distraction to my mind. But that's what God wants. You can't get this at home. Now, if you're sick, you're out of town, what a grace that that is. But that's not this. You need to be here. You need to sing, pray, talk, eat together, take communion together, edify each other, right? Now, there are providential hindrances that we have, but, but man, this is where God wants you, your physical presence. Now, I became a Christian in the late 1990s, right? And I remember in those days, you never, the culture, never had stuff on Wednesday nights. Never. 
did you have a ball game on a Sunday? You didn't, I mean, like, you just didn't do those things. I remember that. But I remember being in the ministry in the late 2000s, I noticed, like, all of a sudden, it was like ball teams would just slip into practice here on a Sunday, right? And, you know, oh, it's just, you know, it's just ball season, we'll be back. You know, I mean, like, you saw these little things, and slowly, like, people went from, eating a meal at home on a Sunday to like going out to restaurants and all of a sudden it became almost a sign of who the Christians were. Like, who are the Christians? Well, they're the ones that, you know, they're the ones that beat the Methodists, right? And, and eat, you know, eating lunch. Here's what God wants. God wants his members, you're a member of our church, he wants you here, he wants you present. He wants us as a priority. And it's hard. Like this morning, my, my sweet wife and my little baby girl, they're sick this morning. They're not here, right? They can't be here today. But, but outside of that, like, you've got to be here. And, and I would say, like, if there's every excuse in the world. Don't use them. Like, if, if the house is sick, but someone's healthy, the healthy person go, right? Unless the healthy person's, like, you know, the only person that can, like, use the mop bucket, right? Sometimes the healthy person has to say to keep everybody, like, alive and checking fever. So that's different. But there are those situations where we'll use the flimsiest reason to not gather with God's people, right? Does that make sense? And a lot of times we'll use the word of, I'm just tired. Yeah, it's not going to get better next week. <laughs> like, you're going to be tired every day. You know, Jason makes some awesome coffee, right? If you're that tired, if you ask him, he'll make you an espresso, right? You know how to do that? Okay. But here's what I'm afraid of for members of Carver Bible Church. If you don't make a plan for your Sundays, the culture will make a plan for you. They always do. Which brings me to this. Every time I've been walking, have y'all been seeing these bottles move? Woo! Nick needs to go on a diet. All right, so. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to, okay. I'm supposed to be that honest. Okay, here's the deal. Here's two types of members. I don't know if y'all can see. I, this one is full of rocks. Can y'all see this full of rocks, right? right? I, I took these from the house. I didn't get Cindy's permission. We'll see what's going on. She's watching this right now. I don't like these cups anyways because they, <laughs> they're small at the bottom. And you can tip these over. I like cups with some, you know, with some meat at the bottom of it, right? You can't tip it over. Just saying, just saying. These are skinny man cups, man. No way. Okay, so. So here's, here's what it looks like. What we try to do is, okay, I, I need to get all the rocks of life into, into the cup. So this is how we do a lot of life. We'll, we'll let all the culture's priorities just... Yeah, okay, okay, yeah. What, yeah, well, you know what? Man, that's important. I got to do this today. By the way, I'm not saying work in the sense of, like, there's work that you take off of, which is most of us, but there are some people who are essential things on a Sunday. For instance, you're a police officer, you're a firefighter, things where, like, people will die if you're not at work, right? I'm not saying that, but here's what we try to do. Okay, everything the culture has, let me just get it in, and if there's some time... Then I'll go ahead and, and drop, oh, I'm going to be at church, right? Let me just drop that in, right? But you know what happens? All the culture's ideas just come oozing out of your life. It doesn't fit right. It doesn't fit right. And this is what happens to us. But what would God rather us do? Here's what we do. Put the rock of Jesus, his local church, all those priorities Put them in there first, right? And then whatever there is in the culture that's not sinful, that's just neutral, right? Then you pour it in. And then it's going to be appropriate. Are y'all looking at this water like, oh, man, what's he going to do with this water? Man, I thought about using Kool-Aid. Make y'all really nervous. Man, y'all give Christopher a hand. Way to go, Christopher. Servant. This is what God wants. The rock of responsible, grace-filled living, a priority of being with God's people. And then you pour in those things around it. And this is a blessed life. This, this is a life that's thrown all over the place. And this is a place, before you know it, you're so far from God. You're so far from God. 
And I'll end with this. Worship team, make your way up here, just so. Let me tell you one of the dangers I've seen in all this. We are vulnerable people. Amen? We are vulnerable people. And here's what happens. We start letting the culture tell us what to do. We start trying to put the, put the water of the culture in first and let them prioritize what's important in life. And here's what happens. You miss three weeks of church, four weeks of church. And then you know what happens? You come to church, and then all of a sudden you're like, man, things don't feel right. I feel out of place. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Well, it's because you haven't been around. That's normal. The only way you feel comfortable and at home is you have to come what? Home regularly, right? you got to come home. Like if, if you haven't been home in a month and you walk through the door, it's going to feel weird. But not if you're there every week. Not if you're there every time. Would you stand to your feet? Let's pray over this. I'm so encouraged by our people. I'm, I'm encouraged when I see in the morning all this hard work of people preparing meals so that we can share it. I'm encouraged when I see people who've, who've come, who honestly just had a hard week, and they, didn't, they couldn't prepare anything, but they're willing to let others share with them. I'm encouraged by people actually getting up and going through the, the hard pathway of, of getting, getting dressed and getting in here. Some it takes hours, some with kids, some with health. God, would you bless them? God, as we, in a minute, get to consider a baptism, would you let others who not follow you in baptism do that? If there's somebody here without Christ, would today be their day of repentance and faith? And God, would you build a body here that this is a home, this is a gathering of God's people, that we could be conformed to your image until we come, in, until we're, until we come and be with you someday. And God's people said, amen.